Well, welcome everyone to the USA CBD Expo webinar partnered with Industry Pods and Superimmunity. Today we'll be covering cannabis legalization, the impact of guidance and policy in CBD retail acceptance. My name is Nicole Beiner and I'm the marketing director at USA CBD Expo, the nation's largest CBD and hemp event in the US and South America, and I'll be moderating today. We will be discussing what happens when the hemp floodgates open, cannabis regulations are underway and it's just a matter of time before businesses are free to move about. Um, so a couple notes from the people who brought you this webinar. The webinar is brought to you by Super Immunity, the first of its kind vitamin fortified hemp-based and plant-based immunity shot with 30 milligrams of hemp extra, zero sugar, zero calories, and zero THC. So take your best shot and follow them at Get Immunity or visit getimmunity.com. And Industry Pods. Industry Pods is the industry's choice and voice for podcasting virtual conferences and expanding your reach and audience. You can visit them as well at industrypods.com where this will also be recorded. Um, so before we begin, there are a few housekeeping rules I want to cover. To submit a question for our speakers, use the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to answer as many of questions as possible as live. And for those we won't get to, we will try to cover offline. For those of you joining us over uh, any social media accounts, you're more than welcome to put your comments in the chat box. And uh, I'm going to launch a poll. And while we have that going, um, I'd love for everybody to start introducing themselves. So I'm launching a poll that's going to be one of the top things that we're going to answer today. So when do you think cannabis will be federally legalized? Less than 90 days, three to six months, seven to 12 months, a year, more than two years. Let's see what everybody says. In the meantime, uh, David, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, hey, uh, thanks for having me on here. Name is David Metzler. I am the CEO of CBD Capital Group. Uh, quick background was Navy out of high school, then Columbia, then investment banking, venture capital. And then I've started two companies. This is my third one, all of which have raised about $30 million for collectively in the last 15 years of my professional career. So we're investing into CBD companies right now and buying any companies and brands specifically that pass outcome tests that we bring from the healthcare um, industry over into this sector. Awesome. Jonathan. Hi, I'm Jonathan Miller. I'm a recovering politician. I was the state treasurer of Kentucky for two terms, ran for governor, and the people of Kentucky overwhelmingly decided that they wanted me to go to the private sector, which uh, for the past decade, I've been involved in uh, the hemp space. Um, most recently, I have uh, served as a founder and general counsel of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is the nation's uh, leading business advocacy organization for hemp, where we uh, lobby at the federal and state level um, for uh, hemp and hemp products. I also am the managing partner of the Lexington office of Frost Brown Todd, a, a full service firm that uh, has a strong hemp practice across the country. Yes. Awesome. And Brandon. Hello, uh, I'm Brandon Dorsky. Uh, I am a attorney that has practiced in the cannabis space for a little over a dozen years. I'm also the CEO of Fruit Slabs, a cannabinoid infused fruit leather uh, that is sold infused with THC in the state of California and soon to be Washington. And we have softly introduced a CBD product that we hope to distribute uh, nationwide and worldwide. Uh, I am of counsel at Hoven Law Group, where I specialize in intellectual property matters for cannabis businesses, and I'm the chief strategic officer of a cannabis cultivation consulting company. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for introducing yourselves. I'm going to end this poll, which will also kick off our first question. So when do you think cannabis will be federally legalized? So let me share the results here. Uh, 2% people said about less than 90 days. I'd be shocked. We'll see. Um, three to six months uh, is 10%, seven to 12 months, about 20%, a year, 33%, and more than two years is just a little bit more than the overwhelming uh, amount here. So um, why don't we kick off this conversation? Uh, who would like to go first? What month do you think in your, from your perspective that you think cannabis will be legalized? Uh, I'm happy to start with that. Um, uh, like the audience that we've pulled, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think it's going to be at least a year before we actually see legal change. We're starting to see some guidance uh, and suggestions from uh, the FDA for things that they're looking at and stuff that they want to obtain more information on. And I think that process is going to take a little bit of time, but I'm hopeful it's going to happen that there's going to be legal change under this administration. Awesome. Jonathan, do you have any notes on that? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see decriminalization of marijuana um, pretty quickly. Um, I think that uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer has indicated that it's a priority. Uh, certainly, it's already, uh, the MORE Act has already passed the House. Um, but in terms of full legalization, particularly when it comes to uh, uh, marijuana products, I think we, we need to be really patient. Uh, we've seen what the FDA has done by dragging its feet with hemp-derived CBD. Uh, I think you're gonna see the same thing uh, multiplied for, for THC products. And so, um, but, but really for those of us who care about the criminal justice element and, and of decriminalization, I'm, I'm very optimistic we're gonna see that uh, uh, sometime this year. Awesome, and David, what's your perspective on it? Definitely back up what Jonathan said on decriminalization being early out the gates there. Um, but a prediction is 12 to 24 months. In anticipation of this call, we talked to our federal lobbyist yesterday, and he gave me a good framework, which was, if you look at Kamala Harris's perspective, whoever um, moves this policy forward will be known in history. Uh, so if you look at that from a political perspective, there's a lot of motivation from this administration to get that through. And then the other framework he gave to look at it from the lens is it is kind of the new infrastructure. Both Republicans and Democrats both agree on this. 68% of the populace now across the country agree on this. And you also have the need for municipalities and states to take in as much revenue as possible and really the federal government from that. So you have this kind of common ground element and you also have this historic legislation component that will help make the politicians that pass this thing through. So there's a lot of motivation. He did also you know, say that it's not a 12 month deal. There's too much work that needs to be done. So my call after this is with some of the policymakers, and we're talking about exactly that. So I would say 12 to 24 months. And then just one other thing that Brandon said was very intuitive, which is you know, we're in discussions with the FDA. We have been throughout this last year consistently because we're doing a lot of data and outcome studies. and you know, they're looking at data centric uh, models right now for hemp and CBD. And that's a good indication that they'll probably take the same amount of effort in the medicinal side as well. So there's really a strong indication across the board against, against momentum on this topic. Definitely. And when we talk about cannabis, it's kind of hard to say, 
you know, which side we're talking about, whether it's the, the THC side or the CBD side. So when you say about a year, are you talking about both or are you kind of leaning towards more CBD? I know when you say decriminalization, it's kind of, of course, leading on the, the THC side, but do you guys have any comments on that? Well, you know, hemp, hemp and hemp-derived CBD are already federally legal. Right. The question is um, what the FDA uh, is, is doing in, in terms of uh, regulating the products. Uh, right now, the FDA has said publicly that it is uh, illegal to market CBD as a dietary supplement or a food additive. We disagree with that. Uh, and you see products, frankly, being sold all over the country uh, uh, under this gray area. But uh, what we're hoping to see within, within the next year is if the FDA doesn't act, and, and I'm a bit skeptical, um, that we see passage of legislation which would uh, direct the FDA to, to regulate CBD uh, as a dietary supplement, perhaps as a, as a food and beverage additive. And uh, that's the highest priority right now of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable to try to seek uh, passage of that legislation. Right. All right, great. We're getting a bunch of questions in. We'll take questions at the end. So don't forget to put your question in the Q&A box. Uh, try not to use the chat, put the Q&A box in there. Um, so the next question that we have is, what barriers do you think will still be seen? I know from a marketing perspective, you know, will Google and Facebook finally allow us to promote and put our ads up there? Um, you know, we we're of course hoping so. Perfect. Hello, Jack. <laughs> so we have Jack Heakin available with us right now. He had a little bit of technical troubles. So we'll give him a minute to get set up. But um, as far as my perspective with Google and Facebook, I definitely see them allowing people to start paying for ads. I think we do have a little bit of time, but um, you know, us even as an event company, we can't promote to pay ads, even though we're, we're not promoting to sell an exact product. So there's definitely that struggle there. But from your perspectives and in your industries, what barriers do you think will still be seen? I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I mean, um, Jonathan said this very well. Look at the hemp, um, what happened in that legislation with the Farm Bill. It was passed in 2018, December. We're now two years past that. And you still have banking issues that are on the table for almost everybody, right? Credit card is still always there. Square has kind of changed the game. So all of our companies, we moved to Square and we have a deep relationship with them. But, you know, this is an industry that moves slowly. And even with federal legalization of hemp and CBD, that took two years. So as we look at what's going to happen once legalization happens, let's say it's a year from now, anticipated two to three years before all the kinks get worked out you know, in the system. And that's once it's legal, right? So that's just taking the existing playbook that we've already seen and just fast forwarding that ahead. Um, we are in discussions with Google for our brands. Um, they, we have some pretty deep relationships from some of my friends that went to Columbia or over there. So they're opening the doors on, on um, PPC and other advertising. So that's a good indication. But everyone's kind of back to the FDA. Everyone's worried about getting in trouble. Everyone's worried about claims. There's, there's an argument to be made that both Google and Facebook have liability if companies are making claims until stuff is figured out. So they're very cautious. So they want to only work with premium brands and known players in the industry. So we see that two years from now, um, kind of the same kind of play out that's going to happen on the federal legalization about a two-year time frame for kinks to get worked out. Cool. Brandon, you want to jump in? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. Um, uh, I believe that there are certainly a handful of barriers to entry the industry is going to face. Um, I think what we're seeing in a handful of states uh, on the THC side of things is sometimes there are bond and or insurance requirements that present considerable economic barriers to entry or participating in the market. 
And even if we have, uh, you know, a more robust or clear um, federal program, either for CBD or THC products, I think that there are going to be some economic barriers to entry uh, that might require uh, certain bonds or uh, insurance policies that might be uh, prohibitively expensive for some people to enter. Okay, great. And I want to take a minute here and let Jack introduce himself. Uh, I know you had a quick technical problem, but uh, Jack Heakin, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, I apologize for that. Uh, Jack Heakin, uh, representing OWC Ventures. Uh, we're a venture capitalist company. We uh, focus on the efficiency of cannabinoids, whether it's from a plant of hemp or marijuana at the extraction level and then the absorption level um, to to the actual individual taking it, whether it's a cream, vape pen, uh, drink or anything. Um, and then if you want me to go into kind of our thoughts on the regulations and yeah, everything. Okay. Uh, so from a THC perspective, um, you know, if you look back to last time the laying duck session happened, uh, it'll ha be happening about two years from now again, that's when the house uh, passed the bill. Uh, we're kind of thinking maybe that would be the earliest. Um, and then some other things that can maybe happen from a THC perspective is uh, 280E um, removal. Maybe um, next time Congress goes in and debates the Internal Revenue Code. So those are kind of the two big indicators from a THC perspective. And then the CBD regulation, I agree, it's probably a couple years out. Um, it seems like they keep trying to get more and more information from a central database. Um, so that it's act actual, clear, factual information on what it does to the body, uh, how it's ingested, um, or, you know, how anyone kind of consumes the actual product, CBD, or any of the other cannabinoids. Great. And Jonathan, do you have any comments on this? Yeah, you know, the 2018 Farm Bill was supposed to um, uh, solve a lot of these issues when it comes to hemp. Uh, and uh, still to this day, uh, folks are having trouble getting... Uh, banking and credit card uh, company processing are having to pay exorbitant fees for for it, uh, despite the fact that uh, hemp is 100% legal and, and not a controlled substance. I, we even, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable held a, a diversity uh, and inclusion summit where we tried to, uh, where we put on uh, uh, an event for um, uh, farmers of color and, and minority-owned businesses uh, to teach them the, the uh, how-tos of, of the hemp industry. And, and we got our Facebook ads rejected. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that kind of uh, ignorance at this point that uh, um, is something that we'll need to uh, continue to battle. And, and we should expect uh, every step along the way, even when marijuana is legalized. So it's something that industries like ours have to be vigilant about. And, and uh, sometimes we need to seek legislation like the Safe Banking Act to uh, help uh, promote uh, our interests. Great. And then does anyone see any kind of distinction between the federal and state level? I know uh, being in New York, there's quite a few differences and depending on what state you're in, um, do you think it'll be a blanket uh, type of legislation that goes out? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, Brandon, I'll let you start with it. <laughs> um, I think that initially, as we already do see, there are differences at the federal and state level. Um, and even post farm bill, uh, they're kind of pumping the brakes on guidance at the federal level. There are some states that have taken up the issue and under state law, there might be permissible sale or um, they're not taking issue with 
uh, infused CBD products, and we might see um, adoption of regulations or change at the state level that maybe opens a pathway there um, that does present the opportunity or the real likelihood of there being inconsistencies between the, the Fed and the state. And um, you know, when that happens, federal law trumps state law. Um, I, I think that we'll continue to see some states be a bit more progressive and accelerated in their um, adoption of, you know, benchmarks or rules for the industry before you actually see the federal government set some bright line uh, standards. They're, they're holding out for more information. Uh, certainly on the testing side, I think they're sending some real signals that they want to collect a lot of data before they send a signal that they're gonna allow CBD as something in a supplement or in food products. Yeah, the, the FDA's delay is really causing a, a challenge because we're getting this patchwork of state laws and regulations. And just to give you one example of how a problem it is, when you have 50 states that have 50 different labeling requirements, a company that wants to sell their CBD products nationally would have to have 50 different labels, one for each state, which is which is quite burdensome and costly. And, and uh, not to mention some of the more substantive issues about uh, um, disclosures and, and content, et cetera. And so that's another reason why we need to get the FDA on board because we need the FDA to set forward federal rules. We need one labeling law for the country uh, and uh, we need uh, uh, to have companies feel comfort that uh, when they're using good manufacturing practices or other important tools uh, to protect uh, customer safety, that they're doing it consistently across the country. Uh, echoing something that Jonathan says, or uh, as an example of that, you know, we have some states that allow you to get intellectual property rights in CBD goods that the federal government says are not lawful goods in commerce. And that downstream creates all sorts of issues for consumers in terms of being able to properly identify the source of products. And we truly do need the federal government to step in and say that these are lawful goods and they're here to stay because there are thousands of CBD infused SKUs of ingestible products on the internet. Um, and consumers need guidance on what is safe and what is legit. Definitely. David, you have a final comment on this? I, I think that um, the states, uh, as mentioned, are driving a lot of confusion and, and FDA to come back. But the data that they're trying to find is um, is all research oriented. And, and to us, we see it all as uh, a helpful component to bring back uh, some of that data to them. So if you look at the, the consumers barrier to entry, the number one barrier to entry is little to zero research on it. And the second is uh, and this is all out of Nielsen's data. And the second is about the uh, effectiveness. It's too hard to judge the effectiveness. And so if you look at that from the FDA's perspective, they're trying to get as much data around that same area. Consumers are trying to get the same uh, data around that and brands are trying to get that. So what I think is being forced is uh, all these conversations are driving to the, the industry needs to move towards data and outcomes. And that will, uh, that will help elevate the whole industry as fast as possible. And the states are moving faster than the federal government, which is creating this hodgepodge. And without that, the federal government has to catch itself back up. And that's a problem for them. So we're seeing that FDA finally, after a year of COVID, 
drive really hard towards the uh, data. Like we're actually in a data sharing conversation with them right now about all of our brands and starting an initiative around that because they want to, uh, they want to actually uh, partner with the private sector to get that data. So we're seeing them being pretty aggressive this year now that COVID is kind of a little bit behind them. So I, I hope to see that the next year we'll end up coming up with the data they need in order to set up a policy framework. Definitely. All right, I do want to spin this now to the positive side. So once legalized, what opportunities will arise from the, the legal perspective, the investing perspective? I know with GameStop today, everybody wants to know where to invest. Uh, so on the positive spin, what opportunities do you think will arise? And David, if you want to start us, kick us off. Or actually, Jack, I know you've been a little quiet there if you want to start us off there too. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, once it opens up and becomes more legal, we'll be able to hopefully have certain regulations that uh, tell all the different people uh, kind of what they're actually ingesting in their body and what type of effect they can potentially have. You know, if you take uh, 10 milligrams of CBD of product A versus product B, it could have been extracted differently. There could be other compounds in there and everything. So uh, education is a big component of that. And then that opens up to big box retailers. So a larger marketplace, um, which will then hopefully help a lot of people. I mean, I think that we're just at the beginning. Uh, we work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies that um, are looking into this, uh, you know, whether it helps someone with sleep, anxiety, pain down the line. So hopefully it'll help a lot of people and educate them. Awesome. And David, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, so, you know, my background in investment banking, finance, and venture capital, you know, where we got excited about this is once you get into the world and it starts getting up leveled a little bit, um, if the more uh, act passes that we've already discussed, that will allow for banking and FDIC banking to come into play, which will allow for kind of standardization, customer credit carding uh, transactions will become there. And then from the big money excitement level will only be accelerated. So private equity guys when like us look at how do you leverage a company and put debt onto it? And right now you can't do that when there's no access to banking. So with the access to banking will come an influx of new capital because you can actually properly leverage these companies and take over what's called LBOs, leverage buyouts and do some of the kind of traditional financial structures that aren't available right now because banking isn't there. So things like that, customer transactional uh, elements will be there. And then also, you know, we're in discussions with uh, the pharmaceutical companies, one of the biggest ones, GW Pharmaceuticals here in San Diego, where I'm located. And they are anticipating a wave of companies coming in and saying, hey, give me the best, you know, over-the-counter pain, anxiety, and insomnia company. So what we're looking for is, you know, the best of those breeds. And we have a way of, of actually analyzing that using outcome data. And we see a big pharmaceutical push coming in the next 12 to 18 months and all the private equity money once this stuff gets worked itself out. Oh, wow. Jonathan, Brandon, you have a comment? Uh, yeah, I think something that we will see or there'll be a lot of opportunities in uh, testing and medical treatment, uh, the historical um, illegal nature of cannabis has frustrated domestic testing. And I think there'll be a lot of opportunities to explore um, how CBD in particular can be incorporated into therapeutic uh, treatments. Um, the traditional medical community has not always included CBD medicine as part of their 
uh, overall prescription practice of medicines. And I believe with greater or more availability, more, uh, more data, more testing, that CBD can actually begin to be considered as a legitimate alternative um, or uh, add on to you know, uh, your medical treatment plan so we can get this country out of its opioid addiction and um, improve quality of life. I'm, I'm real bullish about uh, hemp uh, 2021 and beyond. Uh, you know, 2020 was an awful year for all of us. It was especially bad for, for hemp. Uh, uh, we, uh, due to regulatory uncertainty uh, and uh, then COVID, uh, we saw prices crash uh, over the past uh, 18 months, but uh, I think uh, once we can get some regulatory certainty and, and uh, legislation, uh, it was called the HR 8179, the last Congress, it'll be reintroduced to any day now in this Congress to, um, to develop a legal and regulatory pathway for the sale of ingestible CBD. I think we'll see price stabilization. I think we'll see uh, um, big food companies coming into the space, uh, big box stores selling products and, and a real revitalization of, of the industry. I also, I'm bullish about hemp fiber. I mean, it takes a t it's going to take some time to develop the infrastructure. It's expensive, but we've seen what's happened in Europe with hemp plastics and hemp construction materials. And, and uh, I really think that that is ultimately going to be the most profitable future for, for hemp farmers. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I think that's some great opportunities for us to look at. Um, one of the other questions was, how do you validate this product? What are some steps you can ensure so that way you're investing or purchasing wisely? I can take a stab at that. Um, so for us, we only buy companies uh, that are proven to work. And so uh, Brandon had said this term, I come from the health insurance company. So United Healthcare backed my first company after I left the VC firm. Um, and they all use a, a metric called quality of life to figure out if programs are, are efficacious or not. So if something's working or not, they use the system to actually measure that. So we brought over the chief technology officer United Healthcare to actually run these studies for us. And we can go in with an email study that's an actuarial-based study and quickly within a four-week time frame tell you if the product works. And not only if it works, but we can tell you, is it improving the quality of life for someone that has pain? Is it improving the quality of life for someone that has anxiety or something that has sleep issues? And if so, how, how well and measure that? And so for us, we see smart money, the pharmaceutical companies, and the real smart investors are only going to buy companies that can prove that their products work. And we actually are doing that for the brands that we're doing. We just spun out that company because the FDA asked us to expand those studies beyond our own portfolio. So the CTO of United Healthcare is going to start doing this for any company that wants to, but the ability to actually test and see is your product working and improving the quality of life of your customers, your patients is the future in our opinion of this industry because those companies will get bought at higher premium multiples than any other company that can. So that's what we're doing. And it's really fascinating because we like, I'll give you one quick data that from the studies that we've done, women that take products, uh, CBD products have a higher efficacious and improvement by about 8% over men uh, for pain. Right. Those types of data statistics the FDA wants to know, wants to share it with, and brands need to know that because that's how they actually design their R&D product lines. The, uh, the hemp industry has set up uh, an organization called the U.S. Hemp Authority, and uh, that is an organization that's dedicated to promoting the best practices, high quality, and um, 
um, self-regulation. And so companies that go through a third-party audit done by a, a firm that uh, uh, administers um, the um, uh, organic, uh, uh, actually the, um, the, the non-GMO program, excuse me, um, will um, um, be certified, uh, able to put uh, a certification on their label to be a signal to uh, uh, customers that the products uh, comply with uh, um, intense uh, standards of uh, good manufacturing practices and, and uh, legal and regulatory standards at the state and federal level. So I think we're going to continue to see more of that, uh, but uh, this is uh, the hemp industry really trying to, to hold itself to the highest standards because particularly given the controversy surrounding all of cannabis, it's, it's uh, important that uh, customers know that uh, there are some products out there that um, uh, they can trust when, as, as you all know, there are right now thousands of CBD products out there and it's hard to tell the difference. Brandon or Jack, you have a comment? Okay, no worries. So one of the final things we wanted to talk about before we do the Q&A. Um, oh, go ahead, Jack. I think there might've been a delay. Sorry, yeah. Um, you know, for us, like, uh, we're manufacturing a lot of different products for different people, whether it's uh, in the pharmaceutical space um, and we're trying to focus on one symptom um, or if it's just in your consumer brand goods and, you know, someone wants to add a certain amount of CBD or another cannabinoid to their body, such as like a Coca-Cola in the future. Um, but for instance, one product we're developing uh, could replace like Tylenol PM. Um, and, you know, I think that it's... Um, a lot of testing needs to be done. Um, you know, everybody, every person's kind of made up different and they have an endocannabidal system. And what is that secret sauce of um, which cannabinoids and what percentage is in there? And how do you get the, the best absorption rate into the body, you know, bypassing the stomach, bypassing the liver and everything else um, so that that person gets that effect very quickly and it doesn't have a negative effect on the body. So, um, I think we're just at the beginning of it, you know, of, of what can really happen because we don't really understand all these cannabinoids yet uh, in, in the plant. Definitely. All right, well, speaking of the different uh, parts of understanding the plant, I know one of the things we were hoping to just discuss lightly was what's going on with Delta-8. Um, there's a lot of confusion because it kind of sticks in the middle between this THC and CBD side of things. Um, you know, where is that going? Where is that going to fall? Um, I know for us at our show, we want people to put kind of a disclaimer <laughs> because it's so new and nobody really knows exactly how to talk about it just yet. You know, which umbrella does it fall on? Uh, Brandon, do you have any comments on it? Uh, certainly have some comments on that. Uh, <laughs> As an attorney that advises companies in the space, I would tread lightly on, on Delta-8. Uh, my opinion is that's uh, a regulated substance and covered under the Controlled Substances Act. There's a lot of confusion out there because you can derive it from hemp. Um, it's reported that it consuming it has psychoactive properties. Um, uh, I have not read the studies, but I've been told that ingestion of Delta-8, uh, it metabolizes to similar or the same compounds as ingestion of Delta-9. So if you're consuming an edible that has Delta-8, um, your your, the end effect is going to be the same as consuming or similar to consuming a 
clearly known controlled substance, I have to assume that there's definitely going to be regulation in that arena. Um, uh, so I would caution all the all uh, the attendees to tread lightly on doing anything in the Delta Eight space. Um, that said, the industry definitely is treating it like a gray area. There are some aggressive yeah. operators out there that are pushing all sorts of Delta Eight products. I think it's the most gray space right now. <laughs> I didn't know it could get grayer, but it's definitely a, a, a space that we don't know where to go. Um, anyone else have any comments on that before I jump into Q and A? Go for it. You got it. Go Jack. So yeah, I mean, we're talking about D8 right now, but people have already figured out how to make D10. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, that's why I keep saying, you know, we're just finding out about this plant Delta nine or THC, um, you know, is, is uh, not federally legal going by states very similar to prohibition of alcohol. And then you have this Delta eight and you see some states that are kind of uh, trying to change the law so that it is kind of seen as uh, Delta nine or THC, but we're already starting to see Delta 10. So then are they going to have to change all the regulation again, that has similar effects to Delta eight and Delta nine. So uh, hopefully government regulation comes in at federal and state sooner so that we don't just keep kind of playing this game. That's a great point. Uh, David, you want to share your thoughts? Similar, although uh, the, the thing in uh, October of 2020 last year, and granted it was a different administration, uh, was that the DEA is not going to take a favorable uh, view towards Delta-8. Um, so, you know, I mean, that, that's the indication on the legal level. Jonathan's a little bit more of an expert there. I would, I would say, though, it's hard uh, because consumers are demanding it. And so you have this really interesting dynamic of like, it's most likely going to get you in trouble uh, as Brandon and Jack have kind of said there's regulations there, but on the other side, consumers want it. And, uh, and I think the reason why is the problem as CBD as a whole, and we've seen this in, in our studies is it takes generally speaking 90 days, 13 weeks is what the statistical number is to get an increase in your quality of life. Um, about an 8% increase in your quality of life for taking it over 13 weeks. So think about that. And the thesis we have is this is a cumulative dosing issue. But unlike THC and Delta-8, where you have an immediate effect, CBD, which does help you for pain, anxiety, and insomnia, we've been able to demonstrate that and share that with the FDA. Like, it, does, it takes a while, right? And so you have this problem where people in America, especially want an immediate pill to fix their pain and their other symptoms. And so Delta-8 does that and it gives you a high and people like a high. Hence the reason, once again, you know, federal legalization is just necessary. Awesome. And Jonathan, any final comments on uh, Delta-8? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I like Brandon's analysis. I mean, it, uh, you can make a very strong argument right now that Delta-8, as long as it's derived from uh, hemp-derived uh, um, uh, the, uh, derived from hemp that it uh, is legal, um, but uh, you're taking a, a business risk that uh, there are going to be some, some uh, law enforcement officials that uh, might disagree, and, and certainly there might be state or federal governments coming in and, and, uh, and trying to, to ban it. So I, uh, I advise my clients that uh, this is something that I feel strongly about to be very careful, and, and I would not invest my, I, I would not put all my, my dollars into uh, into this, given the regulatory uncertainty, I I put instead into to uh, GameStop, Stop or AMC <laughs> stock. Great. 
Well, guys, we have a bunch of questions. So I'm going to start off with the first one. This is from Scott. Do you feel hemp and FDA will provide guidance before THC and full legalization? Uh, I'm happy to start with that one. Okay. I, I do believe that we will see guidance from the FDA before there is legalization of THC. Um, we, harking back to what was said earlier, there may be a very rapid and aggressive approach to decriminalization such that we see federally de federal decriminalization before um, FDA got full FDA guidance on what's gonna happen with CBD. But I, uh, I am fully subscribed to, we'll see FDA guidance on CBD before we see federal legalization of THC. And I agree, and I think we, uh, we're gonna more likely see Congress tell the FDA that uh, it needs to act on this before we get FDA guidance. Uh, yeah. Every time they come out, they, they, they wanna do more study. And, and we certainly appreciate the FDA's commitment to health and safety, but the fact of the matter is there are tens of thousands of these products out there right now. And uh, it is, uh, what is more dangerous is not uh, CBD itself, but CBD products that aren't being regulated. They could have uh, heavy, contaminants in them. They could have, they, they might not have CBD in them. It's, so it, it really is incumbent that uh, they act quickly. And if they don't act, I, I, I do think Congress is going to step in. Great. Next question is from John West. What changes in payments do you see for this year and next? Will federal decriminalization open the floodgates or will credit cards still be restricted? Anyone have a comment on that one? <laughs> I mean, we, it, all of our companies, we have a relationship with Square from my technology VC days. Like everyone should be on Square. Like it just is so easy to do. They're better than anyone else. Um, I'm, I have no stake in that, but like we've moved off of that and they're cheaper than everyone else. So on that side for CBD, you already have a, a, a very solid player in the space um, that is underneath a lot of the high end um, pricing. Like I said, the, the credit card issue is no longer the issue at hand and safe and, and more, any of those legislations will change that and make it even more so. The pricing on the on the BIC that they used to charge is going down by the day. Um, but where we see the very real value is once you can get into banking and really be in that, right? Like that, it's still hard to get banks, like, uh, and banks will move off of it. They don't know their own internal policies and so forth. The big money will move in once FDIC can ensure, you know, hemp and CBD and know clearly that they're not in trouble. And especially when on the, the THC side, but yeah, credit card processing is not the issue at hand as far as our perspective right now. I, I think the Safe Banking Act will pass Congress this year, if not early this year. I think that that will be the first um, domino to fall when it comes to cannabis legalization. Remember, it passed the House by a vote of three to one. Every Democrat voted for it except one, I think, and half of the Republicans voted on it. So this is a bipartisan issue. And the only reason that uh, it didn't move is because the Senate had been blocking everything. Now we've got Schumer as the majority leader. I think you will see a, a a clear majority of senators support safe banking. So that, that's, uh, that is my uh, most optimistic uh, feeling about uh, banking in the coming year. Okay, great. Um, the next question is from Frank. If marijuana is legalized or decriminalized and left to the states to decide if they will allow recreational use, do you see interstate commerce being permitted or what would interstate commerce look like? <laughs> that's, 
That's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> and I think that um, we don't, we certainly don't know what interstate commerce will look like. Um, it's, it's possible we could get guidance that it's left to the states and they still prohibit, I mean, there could be guidance prohibiting interstate commerce for some reason, or there might be legislation on a state-by-state -state basis that discourages interstate commerce by putting taxes or tariffs on out-of-state product because they're trying to promote their own in-state industry. I do actually believe that there is some conflict there with sort of pervasive loss of tax revenue in many states and states that are not yet legal having an incentive to build an ecosystem within their own state that generates revenue from their, for their state that is somewhat in conflict with uh, federal legalization. Um, and so it's quite possible we could see um, patchwork legislation on the state level that is designed to preserve an in-state market that actually creates some ripples or obstacles or you know um, frustrations for interstate commerce as a whole. Great. And uh, one other question that kind of relates to what Jonathan was saying with the hemp fibers from Harry. What do you think about initiative climate change and use of cannabis in a variety of products to help with the carbon footprint? You know, the reason why I uh, got involved in hemp was not because of CBD. In fact, when I got involved in hemp, it was, I wouldn't know what CBD meant for another five years. I got involved in, 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 in hemp because of its environmental um, qualities, uh, both in terms of uh, soil remediation and, and climate change remediation, but also in terms of uh, um, biodegradability and sustainability of, of hemp plastics and hemp construction materials. Uh, to me, that is really where the great excitement comes. And we've seen a lot of progress in Europe and uh, I'm hopeful that we'll start seeing it here in the US and that uh, given we've got a Biden administration that's committed to the climate, that hopefully we can figure out a way to get some uh, financial support for, for those activities as well. Plus it's great for uh, the crop is great, right? I mean, my dad was a farmer and, um, you know, I grew up in that and hemp is an amazing crop in that it pulls out toxins from the, the ground. At the same time, it helps with re regenerative soil like uh, retention. So one of our, our brands has uh, a really good positioning on that. And we're excited about that because they're all about helping heal the planet. So we see this crop as, as doing exactly that. So there's a long-term uh, yield on this that will be understood going forward. And also, if you look at it as for food, right, not necessarily for humans, but also for animals, right? So I think the USDA hasn't made its policy on that. But when it does, starting to use it for uh, crops to feed animals, there's a huge element there as well. Great. And uh, we'll do one last question. This is from Philip. What is the main hurdle the FDA has to clear before they issue a ruling on CBD regulation? What is the holdup? <laughs> That's, I think, what's on everybody's mind. But uh, do you guys have any insight into that? My personal opinion is the holdup is pharmaceutical industry lobbyists. Uh, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> I think that's always been what, what's been suspected. Um, if, they, if it is them, uh, they are doing a great job of covering their fingerprints. I think the main reason is just administrative inertia, that it just takes the FDA so long to do anything. And then 
last year they had uh, they had a good excuse. They they've been trying to get a vaccine, and and uh, uh, yeah. but 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 frankly, th there is no real excuse for for this delay. Uh, and um, there's been a a lack of political leadership over there. And and I'm hopeful that uh, again the Biden administration will put in someone who is uh, more dedicated to. Um, uh, regulating products like this. And, and, and again, I keep coming back to this, but uh, if not, uh, Congress is ready to act and, and we need to put their feet to the fire. I have some insight here. Uh, so we've had four conversations with them this year um, on, on all the data and outcomes we've did. They care about the liver and liver toxicity. That's what their big issue is right now. And so there's a company called Valid Care out of Denver that's doing a giant study right now, a clinical study. So where we focus is on outcomes. You have testimonials over here and, uh, and clinical over here. We're right in the middle. But th they're very concerned about liver toxicity. Dr. Abernethy, if you knew her, she came like me out of the healthcare industry. She cares about what's called patient-reported outcomes. That's one of the things she's a, a recognized expert at. She's the CIO right now acting of the um, FDA and in charge of this. And so they put out, and everyone in this call should Google right now, January 8th, you know, FDA and look at that real world data. They, they are looking for real world evidence is what they call RWE. And if you can provide that for them or help them, and we have a company that's now doing that because uh, that's what they want to actually set policy around, right? So, you know, if you can actually help provide that data back to them, that's what they care about. But I think they're actually being pretty aggressive on trying to get as much data in in these innovative ways to actually set policies. And they have a great leader right now that's doing it. But it's changed over in last year when we were talking to them, you know, before COVID and post COVID, like they just got slammed with what our national priority was, which was solving this pandemic, right? So now I think you're gonna have some bandwidth, they're gonna have new leadership. And I think we'll see a lot of movement with this real world evidence that they're collecting right now. Great. Jack, any comments before I uh, wrap us up? Yeah, I would just, uh, echo everything that was said, you know, um, not only pharmaceutical companies, but plastic companies have, you know, also tried to stop hemp for some time. It's the world's strongest natural fiber, you know, you can make uh, cars out of it, you know, different fiberglass and everything. I think it's really gonna, there's already hemp concrete and everything. Um, and then from the standpoint of actually the FDA changing it, you know, I think they need more research uh, and data um, and the liver I completely agree with. And that's why, uh, you know, we're trying to design specific things that bypass the rest of the body so that there won't be a negative effect uh, to other aspects of the body. So completely echo everything that was said. Yes, us too. I think us as an industry, just speaking on the, the exposed behalf, please <laughs> give us some guidance here. Um, well, I, uh, we have so many more questions to go through, but unfortunately we are out of time. I will email the questions to all of our panelists and have them answer. We'll put it on the landing page as well if we get some answers. I know some were specific to some of our panelists, so I will shoot them your contact information. So fill in any questions you have, I will send them to everybody. Um, so I just wanna thank you to everybody who participated. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. This webinar will be available on our YouTube and podcast channels such as Spotify, iHeartMedia, and Apple Podcasts. I will email everybody that link. 
For more information, please visit usacbdexpo.com or you can email me at media, M-E-D-I-A, at usacbdexpo.com. Um, I will put all of our panelists' information up on that site as well in case you want to get in touch with them, ask them some other questions. Um, and uh, once again, this was brought to you by Industry Pods and Super Immunity. So thank you guys once again, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Mia. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.